This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Hello, welcome to the latest edition of the 15 Minutes of Football podcast in association with Transfer News Central and Big Heads Media. Jordan is unfortunately accompanying me once again. Can't even speak. How are you doing? Yeah, I need to make sure that I do stay silent when you do these kind of like as you call them, jokes, because obviously people then, then, then might think even worse of you, which is perfect for me. Yeah, George's master plan throughout these podcasts is not to react to the podcast, for the podcast listeners to any jokes that I do to make it look like I'm actually bullying him, which is a very, very harsh thing to do. I'm just um, waiting for the claim. Yeah, we're well, <laughs> waiting for the claim. You're not getting one. Anyway, we're joined this week, uh, I'm delighted to be joined this week, uh, by two wonderful guests from the One United podcast, at One United Pod. Just if you want to follow them, I'd recommend doing so. Uh, James and Henry, how are you doing, fellas? Yeah, good, good. Thanks. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, yeah, pretty good. Cheers, guys. We're going to generally talk about Man United for the first half an hour. Um, makes sense, given that you two are on and you've got a good special uh, speciality of knowledge in, in this department. Then look at Brighton, uh, club analysis on Brighton, a club me and Jordan really have admired all season. Uh, and again, they've just played Man United, so it's fresh in the mind of you guys, just how they play and um, how exactly they set up and how they do in this season. And then we're going to have a, our usual look at the European leagues. Um, another poor defeat for PSG, another bad defeat for Dortmund, and it's been quite busy all across Europe, uh, the top European leagues this week. Well, first we'll go to a uh, question on United, broad question really. Um, you've actually covered this. Uh, topic, so this is fantastic. I know that you've got opinions on it already. Um, hope to hone in on some of those. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, many reports suggested last week, was uh, due to sign or was expecting a new Man United contract, an extension to his current contract that runs out next summer. Before I jump in any, any more detail, what are your initial thoughts to that possibility? Oh, God, it's, uh, it's tough. I mean, we all like Solskjaer. He's uh, he's changed the club around in the uh, backroom sense and everything. But I'm I'm not pro a new contract. I don't think it's uh, the right decision. I think it's a bit reckless because we did this before with other managers and and it hasn't turned out the way that we wanted it to. So, especially now of all times, the football's reasonable, but it's a bit flaky at times. So, um, yeah, it can get frustrating, but. Again, I'm I'm not pro Solskjaer new contract because uh, it just doesn't seem right with me, and things will go wrong if uh, if he does sign a new one. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of the opposite of Henry. I'm quite happy in a way he's getting a new contract. I wouldn't say I'm, you know, delighted because he does have his flaws, and we all know that. But I think he, he's probably as good as we can get with the realistic replacements available. I think they'd you're always running the risk if you replace him that we then go backwards because you know the manager doesn't fit the system up fit the way the team plays or anything like that um and i think behind the scenes is where where we're seeing the most progression and i think once we can relate that onto the football pitch i think we'll be in a very good place because you know behind the scenes we've gone from Mourinho, which was a war zone inside the dressing room to now everyone seems to be on board they're playing with unity and all stuff like that so they can you know you know transition that onto the pitch um, and, and put it into their performances, then you know we could we could be a very good team. Jordan, yeah, I mean it, it's quite nice that we've kind of got both both sides of the coin in, in terms of the opinions from the United fans. 
I'm someone that thinks that he's doing a very good job and he's done a good job this season in particular. I think that true success now relies upon whether United win the Europa League. Uh, but I think he's done enough enough in terms of progress, progressing certain players to, to warrant a short-term contract. But in the long run, I don't think he is the man to take United to the top again. That's, yeah, that, that's my short little... Oh, fun. No, but no, good, good. Uh, like you're right, actually, Jordan. It is good that we have both all sides covered, really. There, and it's kind of what you want with the overview to the to the general topic. And I'm glad you answered that uh, to take United back to the top. And I'll throw this one to Henry. Actually, this is my kind of viewpoint, really. And something that I've heard quite a lot is what Jordan said about putting United to the top. And people say, along with that, that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer won't bring the trophies, the big trophies that are required. Um, he said. Um, you know, that, that that's quite a big statement by a lot of people who don't want him to get an extension to his current contract. Um, but United haven't won a, tr- a big trophy, I would argue. A big, big trophy, Premier League, Champions League, I think they're the two biggest ones that people talk about. They haven't won one since Sir Alex Ferguson left. They haven't made the top four in two consecutive seasons since Ferguson left. So why then is there this instant remit to win the big trophies, other than this is Man United. Shouldn't it be about sustainable progress instead? And if Solskjaer gets top four this season, like I say, he'll be the first manager since Sir Alex Ferguson to have done that with a view to building on that next season. I guess the frustration from United fans' point of view is that we've gone in the space of 10 years from being so good to being on the on the decline and and then kind of we're, we're progressing almost feels too slowly so we go um to second with Mourinho and then after that it's almost like another rebuild again um the frustration is that we're not going to win the win the trophies under Solskjaer because of naivety in in big games semi-finals we've seen it consistently and and it's it's getting frustrating to and to the stage where people are saying if he can't win a trophy this year is it really worth him being um, in charge next year? Because you know there'll be there'll be more frustrations and and less belief in the manager. Because top keep getting top four, that's just uh, going around in circles. Then you're not you're not achieving you know you're not achieving the big trophies. Look at even look at Spurs right now; they're in a cup final. So we've got we've got to get to a cup final, and uh, and then people can start talking about you know contract or whatever, but also progressing for the future with Solskjaer. Can I ask you a sort of variant to that? Um, Because it's interesting, Henry's sort of gone with that narrative, which is fair. I've heard that quite a lot as well, and a legitimate one to go with. Um, You know, because I thought actually specifically in that FA Cup game against Leicester, I couldn't understand why he'd picked such a weak team, given that it was on the eve of an international break. I, I, I found that really quite baffling, to be honest with you. But would you think that... You mentioned Spurs actually in a cup final. Would Spurs swap? Maybe they would, but from your point of view, would you swap a Carabao Cup or an FA Cup here and there every other season for top four sustainability? Or would you rather have the top four sustainability instead of a domestic cup competition? Um, I think... It's it's difficult because if you 
you know, trophies are nice to win, but realistically, no one really cares about who won the Carabao Cup each year. So that's that shouldn't be a barometer of success. And then the FA Cup is it's, it's a big trophy, but it's it's not the end of the world if you don't win it. I think you know we won it under Van Gaal, and we were still on the decline. So winning that trophy did nothing for us in the long run. You know we 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 won the trophy, we won the Carabao Cup under Jose Mourinho, and then carried. Well, we declined after that, and well after our second place finish anyway, we, we then went on the decline. So realistically, it's, it's it's done nothing for us going forward. So if you can have that consistency within your team and within your performances, it's something to build on. That's I think that's what you've got to take into consideration. It is it's something to move us forward rather than continue this backwards regression that we're going in. So. I, I suppose I'd take top four um, sustainability in a sense, but there's there's a time limit on that as well. Mm. There's a time limit until you you sort of run out of patience with top four and you do exactly what Arsenal did with yeah. uh, Arsene Wenger. Yeah. Although, to be fair, I don't, I don't know if that's exactly worked out quite how Arsenal fans mm. would have wanted, to be honest with you. Uh, but I know I, I completely understand. And, you know, I... I think it is, a, it is a strange one, is it? Because I mean, Jordan, remember when, and you were probably one of these people, actually, um, even though you're not a United fan, many United fans were clambering for Maurizio Pochettino when he was available uh, because he would win trophies. Maurizio Pochettino never won a trophy for Tottenham, you know, and he did get fourth consistently season after season after season after season. Um, so what I know you sort of, you were sort of clambering there, weren't you, for, for the trophies? And you have said, and you have said you thought Pochettino was better designed to bring trophies to Tottenham than Solskjaer. But why? No, you, you're right that, that Pochettino doesn't have that track record and neither does Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. But I think that the system that Pochettino builds in terms mm. of the way he gets his team playing, his tactical fluidity, is, is more designed to win trophies than that of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's. I feel as though watching Man United at the minute, it's a lot of relying on world-class ability of certain players, particularly Bruno Fernandes, Marcus Rashford. And I feel like a massive tactical point of United at the minute is just give the ball to one of them and hope that they do some, something magical. And they are doing, but that is where the consistency problem comes in mm. at the minute. And I think that under Pochettino, there is a more clear idea and, and there's something you can build on. And I mm. think that that is why he's maybe someone who's more likely to, to have long-term success than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Having said that, you are right with the track record. It, <laughs> I guess you can put them in a similar bracket and, mm. and neither of them are true winners. Mm. And there's not really any ma- manager that's available right now that does have that track record. Yeah. So maybe you look at it as Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is right for now and mm. until someone becomes available, you just stick with him. I like how this discussion seems to be literally 50-50 split. Um, that's uh, that's really good for the for the discussion side of it. Uh, Henry, I'll throw this one your way then, just to just to jump on that really. And, and you both that kind of uh, both you and James touched on the flaws of Solskjaer um, as a manager uh, a little bit. You highlighted they are there, and they are there. And I think one of the things that stands out from my point of view, maybe from George, like he said, was a lack of necessarily seeing the patterns of play on a game-by-game basis, seeing what the, the, the genuine philosophy is when you compare it with, say, my, maybe even Graham Potter, when you compare it with even, even what Graham Potter does with Brighton. Touch on that a bit later. Uh, obviously, Guardiola at, at, at City, even even Arteta, who's not doing well at Arsenal, you can still see a level of, of a pattern of play that's, that, that's forming. My argument, I suppose, against that would be that 
there are so many players at Man United, really, who Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has either had to put up with or has made better. I think Fred, many people say Fred's not good enough. And, you know, you look at what he's done with Fred and McTominay as a double pivot. I think it's quite remarkable Man United are second, you know, in many ways, when you consider that has been the mainstay double pivot. Uh, what he's done with Luke Shaw, how he's transformed his career from being a, someone who was on the on the decline to now he's one of the best left-backs in the Premier League. Um, you know, I think when I look at it, I think he's inherited a squad that, well, the previous manager said wasn't good enough. He's got one or two players in, but then he's lost Lukaku. So, you know, two steps forward, one step back kind of thing. And it's very difficult to necessarily build up that style of play when I think so many players in that squad aren't necessarily at the, at the standard Man United want to be if they want to be challenging for titles. The thing with United at the moment is, so I know you touched on him getting rid of Lukaku and and, and stuff. Um, these weren't board decisions. They were Solskjaer's decision to get rid of Lukaku. That that was on him. It was, was not anyone else. Wasn't playing him. Didn't feel he was the right fit for the side. Absolutely fair enough and fair play to Lukaku who's gone over Syria and going to win a title, you know, within his first couple of years of leaving. So, um, but in terms of style of play, I still can't tell you how we're going to play week in, week out. I just can't. I don't know whether we're going to sit back. I don't know whether we're going to um, dominate the ball. You just haven't got a clue. And, and the performance yesterday, yeah, it was, it was garbage. <laughs> it really was. It, you know, we, we are, um, a moments team. That's exactly right. We are a moments team. We rely on individual brilliance to win us games. Yesterday's performance was down to individual brilliance. It wasn't down to, you know, consistently playing well throughout the whole game. We got dominated by a side that are just outside the the bottom um, bottom three in mm. the league. Um, we got dominated on the ball in the first half. Mm. Outplayed, outclassed, outworked. So there's. <laughs> For me, there's not a consistent pattern of play that I can see with the other top managers. Thomas Tuchel and Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp, you can see a, a consistent style of play. Even if it doesn't go well for them in a game, they'll still try and play one way because that's how they know um, how to play, essentially. You know, how, how to get the goals, how to, to win games. And, you know, there's no... doesn't seem to be any... Well, a little bit of tactical knowledge, but... Sometimes it's just a bit, you look at it and you think, what's going on? <laughs> you know, th these guys look like they've just met each other. So it is frustrating and I get that we're second, but a lot of that is done on, on moments from Fernandez or Rashford or, you know, top players that are in the squad. Same concerns, James? Um, I'm, I'm sort of in agreement. It's a little bit annoying, especially when you look at, the times that pre social has been in charge previously and we played nice football like when he first came in the, the football was slick and free flowing and and we were, we were scoring a lot of goals and we were actually enjoying watching football Manchester United and the same thing happened sort of post lockdown in that project restart as well we were pretty much untouchable for a, a run of games and that's what got us top four and you, you look at that and you think the squads haven't really changed that much so why aren't we still playing that same mm. brand of football if that sort of if that makes sense so because yeah, some of these games, like the first half of yesterday, was unwatchable. Mm. Which I'm, I'm very on Henry's side about that. Some, some games that Solskjaer's, mm. you know, led his team out for. Mourinho would have got a lot of stick for, for those performances. So, mm. um, I think I'm, I'm, I'm with Henry in that he, he doesn't quite have that tactical knowledge yet. But I'm also 
I thought you raised a, a brilliant point about you know these players aren't the players that he needs to implement that mm. style of play. Mm. If that makes sense. So I think yeah. that's why I'm I'm all for giving him a little bit more time. I think yeah. if you if you give him more time, you give him the players he wants, and then you can judge him on yeah. on how he's playing. Well, like you say, I mean, I I just think about it like and and um, the point that I was trying to make really is a lot of these players have come through. Under Solskjaer, and I mean McTominay. No, I mean Jordan might have got a bit far when he called him world class um, at the start a while ago. But he is—he has come on so much under Solskjaer's management. Um, Fred has become usable after Jose Mourinho basically ha- didn't didn't want anything, you know, barely utilising when he signed after he came in the summer. Sure, different player. Wan Bissaka still got his faults, but I still think he's he's performed rather well for United on the whole. Um, Still has to cope without the centre back uh, to partner Maguire. He still had to do that for a full summer. Hasn't got a natural right midfielder at the club, like you said, Jordan, uh, in previous podcasts. So there's a lot of things that I don't think are quite right at the club now. And that's why, from my point of view, I'm more inclined to agree with the things James is saying. But I can understand Henry's point of view as well. And it's really difficult because it does still seem to me, even a little bit premature to be rewarding him at this moment in time. I'd probably wait to see how next season went a little bit first. Um, but, hey, I don't know. The reports suggest that it's coming. So who are we to say that it's not? I don't know. What do you think, Jordan? Is it going to happen briefly? Is it going to happen? Yes. I think they should wait and see with the Europa League. And I think that should be the barometer, the, the barometer for, for whether they should or not. That's a fair point. Fair point. So, I mean, second of Europa League, you'd be loving that, wouldn't you, really? But anyway, just to move on to uh, sort of the second segment, really, and, and where we go from next season. Um, so this is quite a broad one. Again, broad topic. How can United push on next season? So I, I just look at this summer being very problematic for a lot of clubs because I think there's going to be a lot of cl- clubs that are cash strapped because of the COVID recession that's probably going to affect even the biggest football clubs. So with that in mind, and the budget maybe not being what fans would like it to be, does that mean that maybe Solskjaer has to work a little bit, be quite clever again with some in-house decisions? What I mean by that is the defence, the centre-back that everyone wants, they might not be able to get him this summer. So does Ole Gunnar Solskjaer then think, well, if I make Dean Henderson my number one, he breathes new life into this defence, he organises from the back in a better way than David Ahea does, and then you can start to focus in other areas that maybe need more surgery. Go to Henry first. Um, I think the simple solution, um, and I've, I've spoken about this before, is um, is getting a defensive midfielder, mm. you know, a, a world-class top defensive midfielder. Maybe not, you know, your £90 million because you can't afford, we can't afford that and our owners will not spend that money. <laughs> you know, if we get top four, they will not spend that money. Mm. So. Um, just getting a top defensive midfielder that can solve a lot of problems. So you've seen um, even teams like West Ham with Declan Rice in defensive midfield, or Chelsea against West Brom without Kante, they look lost. These players can make a huge impact on your team, and uh, and that can solve two positions with just one signing because you'll be able to protect Lindelof and mm. uh, and some some Maguire's flaws as well whilst having a, a competent ball player in midfield. Fred is great at retrieving the ball. He would be a fantastic dog because he's great at retrieving the ball. Great golden retriever, Labrador, whatever. 
But I tell you what, he cannot distribute at all. His passing is is terrible. Mm. You know, it's a one out of ten. Mm. So we need a, a ball player in midfield. And uh, McTominay's reasonable, but again, I think he's a squad player. Mm. I, I, if you if you asked other fans of the top top six, I'll call it because obviously you know Arsenal low or whatever. <laughs> but you ask the you ask the fans of the top six clubs, would they take Scott McTominay as their defensive midfielder? Six out of six probably say no. Because, uh, you know, Liverpool, Fabinho, is McTominay on the level of Fabinho or Rodri or Kante? Is he similar to Henderson, though? Maybe a bit similar to Henderson in his style of play? Yeah, he's a worker. He's a worker, but you need... Henderson always has someone accompanying him in midfield. So he's always got a, another worker or another better player next to him. So you usually have Fabinho, Henderson and Wijnaldum, for example. Fair. We've got Fred and McTominay. It's, uh, it's having, you know, having two like five out of 10 players does not make a 10 out of 10 player. Mm. And, uh, and you compromise other positions in the team. So defensive midfielder, first and foremost, is a priority, I think. Is that your number one priority, Henry? Defensive midfield above everything else? 100%. Mm. James agreed with that or maybe right mid I, I, I've been looking at right midfield but I, I, I can see Henry's point in terms of balance but like Jordan said no right midfielder natural right midfielder at the club um, would that be an area of concern as well? Yeah definitely I think um, it, it all depends on whether Pogba stays or not because yeah. I think if, if we're talking just season to season I think we can do with Pogba and someone else in midfield for a year if it means we get more funds to buy one next year um, but you look at United, especially against Brighton, and there's no one in there that's got any sort of creative spark other than Bruno and Pogba and they're, they're forced too deep. So we need someone up there on, on the right wing who is a competent right winger because Greenwood's just being forced to play there out of position. Um, and Ahmad Diallo's just way too young. So mm. you, you can't expect him to make any sort of impact. And Dan James isn't probably isn't the sort of player we thought he was going to be. So. I think a right winger, like a, like a Jaden Sancho, who's going to create goals for the finishers mm. we've got at the team. I mm. think that would probably be more important if we keep Pogba. But I think if he goes, then then we are, we're not going to be enjoying next season if we don't buy a new <laughs> midfielder. No, yeah, I mean we talk about building for the uh, for the for the upcoming season for for the following season. Sorry, and if you Jordan, I mean if Paul Pogba does leave, it's um, you, you're starting to two steps behind where you were this season. Because, I mean, as much as he sometimes flatters to deceive Pogba, um, some games it can be 10 out of 10, some games it can be anonymous. I believe he's the best midfielder at Man United when he's on form. So to lose him, you're not going to get him with any... You might get someone who delivers with a better attitude week in, week out, but you wouldn't replace the quality. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You can question his attitude and you, you can question particularly Raiola as well. Yeah. But technically speaking, I think he's as good as anyone in the in the Premier League at, yeah. at the current moment in time. He's up right up there with De Bruyne, I would, I would say. Uh, and, and it's that final ball as well and the ability to to make the difference in that in that big moment. And, mm. and that's something, as I said in the last segment, that Oli relies on in his style of play. So mm. losing Pogba is obviously going to be a massive issue. I mean, I think, was it against Burnley, actually? Mm. Where he actually got the the winner, and it mm. was just a moment of magic where where Pogba made the difference. And it was a deflected volley, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, he scored the goal. He scored the goal. But uh, yeah, I think that losing him is going to be a massive drop in quality for that midfield. And I think that a partner for... You know that I rate Scott McTominay. I think he's a fantastic player. particularly Well, world class, you said. Uh, nearly. Um, so a partner for him is something that I would be looking at mm. alongside a partner to Maguire. Because... Mm. I don't mm. think Lindelof is convincing and I agree with Henry actually that if you do get a proper number six in front of them mm. mm-hmm. it will it will improve him but I think that someone next to Maguire is something that is going to be necessary in the long run I think Baye's done okay but his injury issues have been a bit of a, a problem mm. uh, so yeah I think that's something else I'd be looking at but I think that's maybe less of a priority than the number mm. six and the winger So you're not buying my argument that a commanding goalkeeper might get that extra 10-15% out of the centre-backs in front of him? <sighs> no I'm not buying that argument <laughs> Fair enough that's getting edited out um, So <laughs> I mean it's one of those I, I don't know I, I look at it being difficult for lots of clubs I look at Man United with lots of fires that seemingly need to be put out so to speak if you if, if they want to really push on from this season and there's so many ifs buts and maybes Pogba goes you've got a whole heap of trouble I think um, but then again, then we can say right mid we can say centre back could say striker I mean you can go across the board Another way, another in-house um, decision I think that could perhaps help Man United is convincing Edinson Cavani to sign up to a one-year extension to what he's currently on. Now, uh, I can understand both sides. Some people saying they'd rather see him off. Some people happily taking him on board. But in certain games this season, Cavani has shown his predatory instincts in front of goal. He's an experienced goal scorer um, at the highest level. You know, oozes quality in the 18-yard box. Yes, he has his injuries. Yes, his overall play isn't maybe as good as other players. But for one more year, it went. Times are still quite tough and Man United have other pressing issues. Would it make sense to get Cavani on a one-year extension to sort of act as a foil for the likes of Mason Greenwood and Anthony Martial, who can hopefully learn off him a little bit more, given that, you know, his, his experience around the, uh, around the training complex and on the pitch? Um, I think the the one thing with Cavani is well, having watched him yesterday, mm. no, honestly, I, I just would not sign that performance from him. Mm. Lazy, couldn't be bothered. Positional play was poor. Mm. He just he just looked like he was disinterested. Mm. And the the signing in the first place, people were running raving about how fantastic it was. Mm. And as soon as it happened, I said that is a mistake. I think, I think maybe mistakes a bit too far, but it was a it was a panic signing because we had oh, yeah. six or seven months to do it in the first place, and we didn't. So if you're going to sign a player on a on a pre contract agreement, you do it before the summer, so you know what you're getting. Mm. You can get him integrated with the squad pre season, so on and so forth. Yep. So um, I think it was a, a huge, you know, a huge error in judgment in terms of not getting a player in before that. Mm. Um, and yeah, that performance. I mean, Greenwood did more up front in like five minutes than Cavani did in the whole game. Mm. So he's, I think, it's Greenwood's first headed goal for United. So he's learning, you know, the tricks of the trade, how to get in the areas to score. Mm. Um, and you know, I'd I'd say Cavani can go. He's on two hundred k a week. He's on a lot of money for a 33 or 34 year old mm. who's not going to be around for a very long time. He's here for a, you know, he's here to play, but he's here for a good payday. 
Mm. You know, let's not be mistaken in how much money he's getting a lot of money. Mm. So priorities are simple. You know, let Cavani go if it means getting Pogba on an extra 50, 60k a week because Paul Pogba is the great, he is the best player at Man United Football Club right now. The most talented player at Manchester United Football Club. Bruno's good, but Pogba is, he's shown levels on an international stage, which not many players have been able to do. Um, so I think keeping him at all costs is a massive priority and, and let Cavani do his thing. And he'll probably go back to you know Uruguay or go to somewhere in South America. And I'm happy for him to do that. Well, I'd say just in, just in Cavani's defence, really, I suppose the sort of lethargic nature of, of his performance, you can probably attribute to most of United's attack at times. Martial, even Rashford. Uh, Bruno Fernandes, I'd say no, because he's someone who I, th- I think always seems to be striving and, and, and asking to, to get the extra 10% of his teammates. He's always the one chasing stuff. Um, but I'd say it seems to be a problem across across all of them, really, not just Cavani. And in terms of, I completely understand your argument, though, and, it, and it, he hasn't maybe lived up to the hype that some people had when he did come in, but he had a bit of a rough start to England, especially with that Instagram post that went um, that didn't go down too well, which I thought was a bit stupid on the FA's behalf, to be honest with you, to do what they did. Um, but I don't know for you, James, again, it's, it's more to me the argument of there's bigger problems elsewhere. Um, and if Cavani does go, who comes in to replace him? Because it just seems like you're losing another another member of the squad, another experienced member of the squad, albeit. But keeping him on for that year, in my head, it wouldn't be to have him start every game. It'd be for him to have him as a rotation option with Greenwood, who, like Henry said, looked really good. I think he's, he's more of a striker than he is a, a winger, certainly, from my point of view. Or Martial, if, if um, Solskjaer can get him firing again like he did last season. I just think to let him go and not necessarily replace him, it just leaves him a bit short, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I can I can completely see why you'd, you'd get rid of him in that sense that, you know, he's taken up a lot of the wages that can be used elsewhere and he is very injury prone. But I think realistically, he's a very good asset to the squad as is, especially as if it's something that will just keep us going for a year when we have more funds available. I think, like you say, that experience and, and his sort of natural leadership that he'll have gained over his career is, is important. He's also a winner. We talk about having inexperienced players. He's, a, he's won everything there is to win almost. So, um, yeah, he's. He, I think especially we're, not, we're probably not seeing the best of him because we've not got creators in the team either other than Fernandez, You know, when Pogba's not out, not playing, you've got Rashford on one wing who's a striker turned winger who's always looking to score a goal rather than create. Mm. You've got Mason Greenwood on the other side, striker turned winger who's mm. got, you know, striker's instincts. No one's putting balls on a plate for Cavani, John. That's what he thrives on. So, I think that's why we're not seeing any of our strikers have good seasons this season because we just don't have the creators in the team. But yeah, to go back to your question, I'd, I'd, I'd definitely keep him on another year, especially if we could reduce his wages in any way. No, yeah, I think I think generally though, uh, what this discussion has shown is there's a lot to do at Man United. Maybe with comparison to some other big clubs, United are in second. I almost think that's a, a pseudo second because Man City are light years away from everyone else, and a lot of the clubs below them have to do a lot of work. I think. We'll move on now to um, a club analysis feature of of Brighton, uh, which seemed really apt because um, uh, Henry and uh, and James have, have, have both seen them in action quite recently. Uh, Henry was very impressed. He said they played his team off the park. Um, but 
Jordan, I know, I know you're quite a fan of Brighton. We both are. We're both quite fan, big fans of Brighton, the way they play. Is Graham Potter a wizard for you? Or, or what, what do you think about that? How do you think that's going there? Well, it's funny, actually, because we spoke about Saltshaw and his, the, the lack of kind of tactical nous that United t- tend to show and the, the lack of uh, a real idea. And it's the absolute opposite of Brighton, where they do have a clear idea, but they're not getting the results. Mm. And uh, early in the season, I dubbed them the XG Kings, and it, it's just continued and it's absolutely spiral. It's actually incredible, really. Uh, their expected goals, their expected points, tallies is just preposterous. I mean, they're, so they're, they're currently fifth in the league in terms of expected points, which obviously people have their, their queries over XG, but that, that is the stat that they've come up with. Uh, they'd be fifth where, when they're actually 16th. And they'd also have, they've had the, the third least expected goals against, which is crazy, really, if you think about it. The fact that they are so far down and I think, though, the, the thing with XG and XGA is that in the long term, it's something that, w- that they can build on. It's something that will eventually reap rewards. Yeah, I mean, I mean you, 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 spot, you spot on there with the, I suppose, it, we always said, didn't we? I mean, we were dubbing them the unluckiest team, well, that, that we could see. And I mean, if they went down, possibly the unluckiest team in the maybe in Premier League history, to go down from the Premier League. It was ridiculous how well they were playing. Uh, Henry, you, you, as I say, I, I sort of touched on what you said before about them. Uh, what was it particularly that impressed you when they were when they played at Old Trafford? It's not just that game as well. It's the, the reverse fixture at the Amex where they hit the post and they would work five times, put two really good displays in, didn't they, against United this season? Yeah, it's not just that. And I know James is probably tired of me saying this before, but... <laughs> I kind of have an affiliation in the sense that I used to used to live down there and used to have a membership at the at the mm-hmm. club. So um, I've watched them in League One. I've watched them playing rubbish football and uh, <laughs> under Hewton, poor. And this is a downside better from mm-hmm. that. It is it is phenomenal compared. Um, they've got a, a plan. The club. Um, mm-hmm. Tony Bloom is a fantastic owner. Very hands on. Um, obviously sanction building the stadium, which is a very nice ground. Um, yeah, the, the club is is on the up and and the football is good. You know, watching them, I watch them as much as I as I can because, you know, I enjoy watching them obviously um with a keen interest and and have for years. But the the football is is good. You know, they outplayed United, they've outplayed other teams, mm-hmm. you know, they outplayed Spurs, although that's not proven to be very difficult <laughs> yeah. at the moment. Um <laughs> But they're they're a very a very good side in terms of their cohesion, bringing through youth. You look at Ben White, you look at Rob Sanchez, players that have come through this year. Mm. The club is on the up, and I think they would be the unluckiest team to get relegated. Mm. Although I think now, watching mm. the performances over the last few weeks, especially, mm. you think, okay, they're sort of learning now. They're sort of learning how to how to win and how to get the right results and uh, and play, you know, to their strengths, which are quick attacking, passing football, which is what they like to do. So, um, yeah, I can't see them getting relegated and I'm, I'm happy to see them in a place, you know, where they should be just outside of seventh or eighth. Mm. Like around European places, I know it's a bit, maybe a bit controversial, but they should be around you know, European places with a good top striker 
Mm. That's probably where they'd be right now. Mm. Well, Jordan, the XG king himself, did say, where did you say? Fifth? You said fifth? Yeah, the fifth in terms of XG. So maybe European spots aren't too far off, yeah. Um, No, I mean, absolutely spot on, and it's really interesting that you mentioned that, Henry, and it's good to see, um, well, two of your teams now um, doing quite well. It looks like Brighton um, staving off relegation troubles, United in second. Um, Just to expand on what you said, what you said there as well, with Potter, you get this sense of a sustainability. I remember Steve Sidwell, I think he was on BT, he was talking, because he's, he's involved with Brighton now, isn't he? And um, he was talking about the sustainability of the club in that uh, they've got a clear you know, five, ten-year plan in place, where they want to be, what they want to do. Similar, I guess, in, in many ways to how bun- many Bundesliga clubs operate with the with the structure. They're all very long-term thinking um, and, and sustainable in that sense. Um, Graham Potter is thought to be a man who's you know very measured very good at at, at implementing his philosophy and he's gonna in their mind at Brighton he's going to be the symbol for their football club the way they play everything about him he's that's going to be them on the football pitch that's how Brighton want to play I think they lost that a bit with Chris Hewton towards the end where it got a bit ugly at times uh, just to survive in the division Potter's in now and, and the and he, he's embodying, as I say, what Brighton want on the pitch with his philosophy. Um, James, when you look at it, when you look at, um, at how they're doing and what they're doing, is there a little bit of you that's envious from your own club's perspective or or, or do you just sort of applaud what they're doing anyway, you know, at the club? Um, it's definitely it's definitely nice to see. I mean, you, you've got to be envious of it in a way because these are they're playing teams off the park, which United aren't doing at the minute. Mm. You know, the United struggled to beat Newcastle and, and Brighton absolutely demolished them. You know, Newcastle mm. were never even in the game. So mm. there's a clear style of play there. And I think that there's also something to be a bit jealous of about the fact that the, the amount of cohesion they've got in that team. It's almost like a telepathic understanding between each player. You know, you saw with, with some of the bits of interplay they were playing at Old Trafford yesterday. There's They're all on the same wavelength, whereas sometimes United do look like a team of individuals where there's no real chemistry you get a lot of passes that are just not read by the striker so they go out for a goal kick and you know there's a lot of that not quite being on the same wavelength and Brighton have got that down to a T and mm. it's, it's, it's they're clearly just 100% behind the manager and behind the way he they're playing um, at the minute so that's that side of it is is definitely something to be jealous of no, yeah, I mean, I, I think any club, you're right, James, would be envious of that. Even my club, even even Burnley, you know, as much as, as well as Sean Dyche has done. And I, I don't mind, I honestly am not like prejudiced into any kind of uh, form of football, but that is remarkable, truly, what they do do. And and again, I remember at the Amex, they really did play Burnley off the park as well. Turf more, it was the other way around, of course. Um, much more direct and, and, and getting in the faces and bullying them off the pitch. But um, no, uh, it was quite a different story at the Amex. And they have been really good this season. I mean, you noted actually in, in our notes, Jordan, and, and I ha- I've seen uh, some uh, licensed coaches talk about Brighton's style actually being too good for some of the players like strikers. So they're creating opportunities, I've read, um, that require almost too much composure. So this is... The idea that if they had maybe like Henry said a really top end level striker who maybe plays for a top six club, then they could well be challenging for European spots right now in terms of Europa League. But it's um, because they have the personnel that they have. When they get the ball there, these players aren't wired in the same manner to finish those chances. They'd rather have a scruffy goal, maybe a header finish, or something what requires less composure to put it in the back of the net. What are your thoughts behind that idea? Yeah, I mean. 
there is a point where you question whether it is just bad luck. And I think that a lot of the chances they create aren't the right kind of chances for the, mm. the, the clientele almost that they have. I think Neil Maupé is best playing as the, the last man on the shoulder of the last defender going one-on-one with the keeper. I think that's when he was at his best at Brentford. I think that's his style of play. And so many of his chances at Brighton are, are relying on instinctive finishes and it's just not something that is in his skill set. Mm. So I think if he's playing up top, maybe with someone that is that instinctive finisher. And I, I mean, the, the name that jumps out at me as an Everton fan is Nikita Jelovic. Oh, oh. When, when Jelovic first joined Everton, I think he scored 10, 10 first-time finishes in the first half a season he was here. And, and that is the exact kind of striker that they need at, at Brighton mm. to, to finish those chances. And now you can ask the question all day of who that, who that player is. I think maybe... Callum Wilson, should Newcastle go down, would be a good shout for them. But yeah, I think that's that's clearly the where they're going to have to look at in the summer. Mm. Uh, it'll be interesting to see whether they do get someone that is of that calibre. Yeah, or maybe, maybe, maybe um, it's all about adaptation. Um, I, I'm inclined to agree with you. And, I, and I must stress that even though those points raised by Jordan apart from the Malpai, that was quite good. But the, the points before about the strike having the uh, mischance, that was actually by, was it was it the head coach man on Twitter? It wasn't you, was it? Because I've read that uh, before. Harry Brooks there we yeah. go, Harry Brooks. Just just for a disclaimer, it wasn't Jordan's own analysis. It was just read <laughs> off uh, someone else. But um, I think, is there a point maybe in adaptation? So these strikers getting used to the methods and the, and the style of, of Graham Potter, or is that a bit ridiculous? Because I suppose you... It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because I suppose when you think about Pep Guard- what Pep Guardiola has done at Manchester City, there, w- there wasn't really time for adaptation. It was either you got it or you didn't. But at Brighton, it's a bit different because you're in charge of a small club. You've got a philosophy to put there, but then you don't have to win every game. So there's less pressure to instantly get to that level. Um, what are your thoughts on adaptation, though, Henry? Is it something that players can realistically do, like the strikers? Can they suddenly adapt to scoring double-figure goals in this system? Or is it a case of, actually, we need to we need to go for the for the level above to get people that you know can can actually finish the chances we're creating I think you've got to have the right players for the system and I think the um, the players have to fit around the system because if as a manager you change your philosophy for one player um, you know you've you've probably lost a lot of other players in terms of the dressing room and uh, and they're thinking why are you accommodating one player when you're not trying to accommodate us and and so on and so forth so I think you know the example of Brighton if you're going to um, you're going to go and get a uh, a top striker. Mope is good as a backup. I'm not sure he'll be happy as a backup, but maybe go to another team and, and he'll do fantastic, a team that plays his style of play. Mm-hmm. But for me, if you put someone like Wout Weghorst in that team, the Wolfsburg striker, he gets 25 goals a season comfortably. You've got someone who can, um, someone who can head the ball, someone who's got a bit of pace and someone who's really... You know he's got quick feet. That's why Wolfsburg are where they are in the in the mm. league at the moment because mm. of his goals and his link up play. Mm. They need someone like that, someone in the in the Premier League, for example, Ollie Watkins. I was mm. thinking over the summer. I was thinking Brighton, just go for him. Just just please make that move because you know if Villa were creating the chances that Brighton did, he'd have six or seven more goals. Yeah, you know without Grealish, they're not creative, and and with him, obviously fantastic, but. Mm. You know, you look at that Brighton side and you think, we talk about all, all this XG and stuff like that, yeah. but you need to have one player up there alongside, you know, Trossard, 
Belgian international, mm. top player. Mm. I think he's uh, personally. I think he's one of the the signings of the last like four or five years in terms of in terms of Premier League. How Brighton have managed to get someone of that quality for just upwards of twenty million pounds, mm. I'll never know. You know, mm. a top class player, mm. and then um, you know you've got to have a three up there that are competent and able to score. And if you put a top striker in there, you're you're looking at a Brighton side that are above mid table. Um, mm. Probably competing with Arsenal at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's mad, isn't it? When you think about that. Well, no, you really good shout there, actually, Henry as well. And um, yeah, you'd be. I think it is what literally one or two players off making one hell of a difference in terms of their league position. Uh, also, I suppose worth noting is they are a, they are a, a three at the back in all cases. Wing backs change and. Uh, I think it gives them a really good base, doesn't it, James? I mean, the three at the back isn't used by everyone, but we've seen at Chelsea now how their defensive frailties and their lack of a, a build-up from the back has now been, I suppose, I suppose, put uh, that, that those problems have been put to rest for a, for a moment now because they've put they've implemented this system with wing backs on the side. It gives a base to build up from, but it also means you can defend um, with a bit more caution. When, when in other cases, the four at the back necessarily wouldn't necessarily cover for any individual errors. And individual errors are something that Brighton players will probably make quite a bit of, given the way that they play. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I think, especially when you look at the, the, the players in that defence, you know, it's all, it's good and, you know, it's stable enough having three at the back. But when you look at the actual members of that defence, you've got Lewis Dunk, who is quietly going about, quietly going about becoming one of the league's best centre-backs statistically. And then you look at Ben White, who is touted as one of the up-and-coming centre-backs in, in in the whole England setup. So, you know, you're looking at a future England centre-back and Lewis Dunk, who is a, a quality centre-back as well. And you think it's, it's, it's a quality base to build on, isn't it? I think that, that that's one of the big reasons why they're able to be so free-flowing in attack, because they don't have that fear that if they lose the ball, it, it could very easily end in a goal. No, yeah, I think that's really well summarised. I think, I think, I think we're so glowing because this is a club, I suppose, Jordan, briefly that have a clear identity. They play it week in, week out. In in terms of other clubs at the bottom, you don't know how they're going to play week in, week out. You don't know what they're trying to do on the field. But with Brighton, you do know. You can see the positive signs. The XG is not everyone's cup of tea, but a good sign of where they are going and what they're trying to do. And it does say that you know what, with careful investment here and there, with one or two marquee signings this can be really exciting times for the football club. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's always nice to have an extra entertaining side in the division. So having a Brighton over a Newcastle at the minute, at least, <laughs> given how both teams are playing, is, is much more enticing to any any neutral fan. Apologies to the true Geordie and any other Newcastle fans that may be listening. That is, um, that is, that is slanderous. On to our final segment then, which is just a brief look around Europe, really. And it's it, we usually actually some, uh, often focus on one league in particular, but it's coming to that stage of the season where it's it's going crazy everywhere across the European stratosphere. And uh, we're talking about, I, I suppose it's apt, we're talking about Maurizio Pochettino before, mentioned him a few weeks ago because PSG had lost a game then. They played Lille this weekend, first v second, big game at the top of league end, and they lost. Lost 1-0 at the Parc de France. Um, Neymar got sent off at the end. Um, uh, Jonathan David with a really well taken finish um, against a, a PSG defence, which which was particularly low block in that instance. I mean, they were literally on the goal line, but a really fantastic def- 
uh, finish. Took a slight deflection, I think. Take it past Kalo Navas. Um, it's a really weird one. We've, we, me and Jordan have talked about this before, guys, on on Pochettino and his um, the challenges that he has to face at, at PSG. And we think that one of the biggest ones really is almost motivating the players that he has to win the league that they always win. And again, this was a big clash at the weekend and they came out on the wrong side of it. And then Neymar got himself sent off at the end, a bit harshly, I think, to be honest with you. But um, it was more of a coming together with the other play, with the Lille player that also got sent off. But it's, I mean, if if the only other PSG manager in, the, in, in recent memory to not win the, the, the league um, was Unai Emery. Um, is it possible that Maurizio Pochettino could fall into that category? Because I think with Unai Emery, you look at a, a manager who couldn't, you look, even when he came to the Premier League, you thought, is he going to be able to manage the big egos? And there was a bit of, there's still a bit of question mark he left and we were still a bit unsure, I think. And with Pochettino, I, I always got that sense because there weren't too many at Tottenham when he was there. And now he's gone to the, the home of the egos. Could this job be a bit too much for him, do we think? I think one thing I want to want to mention in terms of in terms of Poch is his um, you know his style is very kind of midfield based mm. and PSG don't True. have a very good midfield without Marco Verratti. True. It's it's like if you um, swapped out a Lamborghini for a Reliant Robin, isn't it? With uh, without Verratti in that team, mm. you know it's going to um, break down or fall over at some point, and it and it just happened to be against. You know, essentially the second best team in the yeah. league. Lille are a very, yeah. you know, talented bunch. They're not very good at home, which is weird, mm. but they're very good away. So, the, in terms of Verratti's kind of COVID diagnosis, it came at the worst possible it, time yeah. for PSG because, sure. you know, you're looking at a Lille team that have got a point to prove after yeah. losing a few games and being a bit shaky. Mm. Obviously, got knocked out of the Europa League as well. Yeah. So you're looking at a side with a with a point to prove and a side that really were determined to get a win. And a PSG team that I think came out with a wrong attitude of, okay, we will roll these lot, lot over. They'll, they'll be easy. And you had Neymar doing his usual, you know, childish antics, which he does when he's losing. And Bappe, who a couple of chances, but other than that, pretty non-existent in the game. So I think it's not as easy um, with that PSG team because it is full of journeymen. Mm. It's full of average uh, midfielders especially and and the fullbacks Florenzi's good but you look at all the others and you think Kazawa not good Baka meh so you're looking at a side that's people are saying should be up at the top of Europe and I'm looking at it thinking if you put that midfield without mm. uh, without you know Mbappe in front and Neymar in front and Di Maria and, and mm. co mm. that's a Europa League team at best mm. No, it's a fair point you make, really. Um, I think, and what we shouldn't um, sort of un- underplay is how well Lille have done this season to be where they are and to have, and to have you know, to, to essentially be in with a chance of winning League 1, which is something that so many League 1 clubs can only dream of. Not because, as, as you say, Henry, that, that PSG is so far better than the rest. Usually they are, and I, 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 um, I take on board the fact that you're right, without Verratti, as you say, it, it is looking a bit threadbare in the middle of the park. But James, I mean, what a story for Lille. And if Lille do manage to win the French League, which is still a tough ask because they're only three points ahead of PSG. Lyon are just behind them. So Monaco, it's quite a race there at the top of the French League. 
But if Lille did win, what a story it'd be um, in France uh, that someone could, I suppose, um, stop the monopoly that is PSG from, from, you know, sort of holding the French league to ransom in many ways. Yeah, I think that the best thing about it is they've done it so modestly as well. Mm. You look at the, the other team to break PSG's dominance and it was Monaco, which mm. was a fantastic team. It was stacked with talent. It got to the last stage of the Champions League and a lot of them sold for upwards of £50 million a season after. So it's it, it was an incredible team. Whereas this is a team of, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a Swansea City reject playing centre midfield in Renato Sanchez, if you will. You know, they've completely turned his career around. There's young talent in Jonathan David that they've picked out, scouted, developed and um, and they're making a very modest but very good team if that makes sense. It's not, it's just a, it's in a sense a team of nobodies yep. um, compared to the the might of PSG and even Lyon have, have got Some probably players, man for man yeah. a better squad. Yeah. yeah. So the, the, the job they're doing, I think that will be the thing that's noted most about them. It will be, you know, a repeat of them when Montpellier won it with, with yeah. such modest means. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm getting, I'm hoping it's like Leicester City vibes of 15, 16, isn't it? I think um, I would really like to see it sort of the, you know, the, the hopefully it's like Robin Hood with it, taking taking the trophy, isn't it, from King John and, and whatnot. I mean, I do hope that really does happen. But it's not just, I mean, it's not just France. I mean, that would probably be the biggest upset as we look at the, the landscape at this moment in time. But, well, we thought myself and Jordan and many others thought it was going to be Atletico's year as well in La Liga um, because they were doing so well and they were going to break up uh, the Catalan Giants once again. It's been a while since they've won it under Diego Simeone, but they started to crumble now. Um, it's partly due to that. They lost to Se- Sevilla this weekend. Uh, Barcelona are in action tonight. We won't actually know the final result against Valladolid until we go off the pod, but their form is very, very, very good. And it's also... Um, it's quite contradictory to the Champions League performance against PSG, which was very, very poor. But in the league, very, very good. Messi's in the form of his life, which we seem to say every year um, for the past 10 years. And as I said, Ronald Koeman, uh, Jordan had said, and I'll bring it up on air because... Just, just, just Here we go. Uh, Jordan asked for Ronald Koeman, said, he, he, well, he's not going to do anything. He should be, should be dismissed from his role. And since then, I think he's won almost every game in the league. And it, and if they do win against Bayern tonight, again... I'm not checking the scores because I'm professional. I'm talking to people on the podcast. Um, they will be within a point of Atletico. So that is some going from Barca, isn't it? Because I'll tell you what, uh, Jordan, you're a Koeman hater and uh, you, you relate it to your Everton uh, connection, which is fair enough. I think it's personally unprofessional, but that's just me. Um, what he's done with Barcelona, which has been so, so built around Messi, this is now, this is now a very, I know he's still excellent, but from where they were to where they are now, got to give him credit for that. Now he's done well. He has done well to turn it around. I think the the, the real turning point was when he, he turned it to a, to a back three and yeah. put Frankie De Jong in the middle of that. I think that that was a, a really positive change. Mm. Uh, so no, I'll give him credit where it's due. He's done well with that. Uh, I still don't think he's going to be the right man in the long term. Long term. But no, he's doing fantastically. And I mean, Messi is just. It is. It's a lev- Messi's at the level that we all know he's capable of. And I think mm. a few people at the start of the season kind of wrote him off and said, he's a bit too old now, yeah. past it maybe, but yeah. he's still clearly at that level. It's just above anyone else on the planet. At the minute. He's still the best player in the world then? Absolutely. Yeah, fair enough. You know, it's, it's interesting really how this situation um, envelops, I suppose, with regards to Messi, because he basically 
takes he's, he's crippling the club financially with his wage packet but then he is the club and he's saving them on the pitch week in week out but then as Jordan said Cummins move move to a back three has helped them tactically um at this moment and they're on a fantastic winning run but again you can't hide the fact that Messi's flourishing scoring mo- the majority of the goals or, or contributing to the majority of the goals it's the same narrative so what happens with Messi uh, Henry is it do they can they afford to keep him can they afford to lose him? I mean, what, 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 what do they do in this situation? Well, obviously they should try to keep him, but yeah, they're sure. one and a half million pounds in debt. Exactly. So I'm, not sure, I'm not sure how that's going <laughs> to quite pan out for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, they'll try everything they can to yeah. keep him. Yeah. Um, he's a massive source of income as well. And yeah. when they've got fans back in the ground, um, it will be, uh, you know, even more of a, a pull to come and watch Messi in the final years of his career, I guess you could say. Yeah. So, yeah. um, yeah, I, I guess the they'll try to keep him at any cost. He's a crucial player for them. They're now obviously pushing for a league title. I, I think they've got a better squad than Real Madrid. Yeah. Um, and I think that they've got the capabilities to win week in, week out with that, with the team they've got. Um, Alesco has just fallen off a cliff, so that's <laughs> that's that's done. That's done. Um, I think that's yeah. I think that's over. And and Simeone's tactics have, have come back to bite him. So yeah. um, you know, defensive um, hoofball football. Um, with all with with all, with all due respect to Sean Dyche, it works <laughs> for you guys, but it it's not going to quite work for Atletico Madrid um, at the at the top level of of European football. Because that's what it is. It's it's defensive and and hope you get a goal and then you know shut shut up shop and and hold out for a one nil and they just can't do it at the moment. So yeah, it, it's not quite worked out as planned and they've gone from I think they were fourteen points clear at one no, stage. No, ridiculous, to isn't it? It's now. ridiculous. Yeah, I'm yeah. Glad the, you, then it's over. I'm glad you put a disclaimer in for Sean Dyche. I mean, uh, obviously, best manager in the world. Come on, but um, no. I mean, when you when you when you refer to um, that the style issue, I think I think nothing more apparent is is wrong there than than the use of Jao Felix, who is an absolutely sensational player who's basically been used to sixty percent of his capacity, if that, in that Atletico team. Uh, very very difficult for him. Uh, and 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 James uh, Henry touched on uh, Barcelona having a better squad than Real Madrid, but Real Madrid do have a heck of a lot of experienced players that that, that just don't again. Not quite to the same level of Messi, but players that don't just just don't seem to roll over. Tony Kroos, Luka Modric, Casemiro, Ramos when fit. He's not fit for the Champions League, so that'll be interesting uh, to see how they do against Liverpool. Um, but you can't rule Real Madrid out again. And I suppose while they're still in touch with La Liga, Zidane will also probably see the Champions League as, as a route for for some glory. He's had success in the past, hasn't he? Three Champions Leagues. Yeah, I think that we're seeing a weird stage of Real Madrid where they've got a group of players who were the world's best. They were the world's best team for three years in a row. And that, that midfield three as well, was it was there was no one you'd swap out for anyone in that midfield three in those years. If you're playing with that tactical knowledge and that ability and that communication, because it's pretty much the same team still. So um, you're playing with that sort of fluidity, but on legs that are looking like they're not quite going to be able to carry them there. I think age is just catching up with them a little bit. And that's why they've not, that's why they faltered a little bit and that's what maybe will go against them I think that you know they're by no means out of the race for, for La Liga but I don't realistically see them beating Liverpool yeah. um, in the in the Champions League just because of how Liverpool's forms picked up recently so 
you know, it's, it's a difficult one for them because it's such a it's such a gifted bunch of players that are just mm. they just their bodies can't handle yeah. it like they used to be able to. Mm. They need a dog in the midfield, don't they, Henry? Like maybe maybe a golden retriever like Fred. I don't know. Maybe that's what they're missing. Um, maybe that's what they're missing. But I think it, I mean, it, yeah, I, I kind of just want to quickly touch on Germany as well, really, Jordan. And had a massive result, really. Uh, Bayern beating Leipzig, top two. Bayern winning again, and no surprise. But what is key for Bayern is the one without Lewandowski against the second best team in the in the division. So that's hopefully for them a sign that the that they can a they can play without him. B, they can beat good opposition without him. Uh, and that's really important uh, with um, PSG coming up uh, in the Champions League. Absolutely. And a, another great performance by Leon Goretzka, who's yep. gone from strength to strength this season. Absolutely exceptional. I mean, his body's uh, massive as well, isn't it? So literally strength to strength. He's huge. Well, yeah, it's, it's a little bit odd, actually, just how how, <laughs> how big he's got. No, but it's, it's very impressive, I think. It, you know, what's really funny is that a few weeks ago, both of us kind of lauded the Serie A title yeah, charge yeah, of yeah. both uh, and, and the, how close it was between the two Milan clubs and yeah. suddenly that's yeah. the, the least exciting title race bar the Prem uh, yeah. in Europe at the minute because Inter obviously eight points clear with yeah. the game in hand yeah. good goal yeah. from your old player as well yeah Lukaku uh, fantastic finish I've, I've likened him to Ronaldo but Inter's answer to him and I think that that is a, a great example of it where he's just he, he's He's kicked on compared to where he was at United, and he's he's grabbing games by the scruff of the neck now, and he's a top player now. No, you're right. Just just to touch on it, really, you're right. Uh, Serie A was looking like an amazing title race, and then now it's just evaporated. It's back to La Liga now, which looked like a really boring title race, and now all of a sudden it's not. Crazy what's happening with events as well, I suppose, are taking Pirlo under his little apprenticeship. It's maybe expected what's happening now, a bit of a bit of a few you know issues along the road, a few bumps along the road. It depends whether they can accept that mediocrity this season and, and, and you know ne- necessarily go with him again next season hopefully uh, for him maybe they can big thanks to James and Henry for coming on uh, any any last messages guys you want to you want to throw any sort of shout outs out there or you just you're just happy to be here yeah it's just it's really nice to be invited on oh. you know it's not it's not something we get asked to too often so it's really nice that you've uh, you thought we deserve a place on your show so yeah thanks for that oh no worries yeah, guys, fantastic thank you sorry thank you appreciate it now thanks to both of you uh i'm sure i echo jordan in saying that even though he's just stroking his hair back and admiring himself in the mirror oh, yeah, my, my yeah. mullet at the back here yeah. mullet at no, the thank, back. You, thank you guys for coming on yeah it's really really good to have a good chat about it as well yeah and just just briefly before we go at 15 moth pod uh topics as i say as a disclaimer discussed in 15 minutes or less Unless it goes over. So that's why I say approximately. Sometimes it has to go over sometimes. But the majority of the time, we got three solid 15 minutes there. And that ran slightly over. But you know what? You can't curtail wonderful discussion. Again, final big thanks to James and Henry. Begrudging thanks to Jordan. Join us next week for more discussion for topics in 15 minutes or less or slightly more if it's good discussion. Thanks for listening. Take care. Stay safe. And see you next week.